By making the world a more beautiful place, Artemis publishes artists and writers from the Appalachian region of the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia and beyond. This is the time when we need to write and make art for the sake of healing our souls and enriching our communities. Welcome to Artemis Speaks. This is a podcast of the Artemis Journal. I am Jerry Rogers, founder and editor of the Artemis Journal. A hundred years ago, women gained the right to vote in the United States. This is the season of women and the theme of our 2020 journal as we celebrate the passage of this 19th Amendment. Artemis Journal was created to give voice to those who were voiceless. Born in 1977 from writing workshops of abused women, Artemis created a space for these voices to be heard. This podcast gives voice to the published poets and artists from Artemis Journal 2020. Today, I'm interviewing the acclaimed poet, Nikki Giovanni. Poet Nikki was born in Knoxville, Tennessee on June 7, 1943. Since 1987, she's been on the faculty at Virginia Tech, where she is a distinguished professor. She has been awarded an unprecedented seven NAACP Image Awards, nominated for a Grammy, been a finalist for the National Book Award, and authored three New York Times and Los Angeles Times bestsellers, which, by the way, is highly unusual for a poet. Here's a quote from Nikki. My dream was not to publish or even to be a writer. My dream was to discover something no one else had thought of. I guess that's why I'm a poet. We put things together in ways that no one else does. So welcome, Nikki, to our (laughs) podcast. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here with Artemis, who was the hunter. I hunt words. (laughs) You hunt words. I hunt words. Well, I have some questions for you. Um, Why did you think being a poet was a real thing to do? I think words are the most important and the strongest in in terms of our our civilization. The strongest thing to have is is the words. And we are here now in 2020 with, with this special edition of Artemis. And we are now looking at not just women voting, but a woman being on the vice presidential ticket. So I am just thrilled. I am just thrilled. Um, You've done a lot in your lifetime. You've had readings. You've had shows. I remember back in the 1980s, 
you actually performed with the um, a Baptist church here with Noel Taylor and his choir. I remember you uh, sort of syncopated your poetry with them singing, and this was a, a great evening, so unusual for uh, any performance. Uh, do you remember that? Oh, definitely I do. That's why I get teased. They used to call me the mother of, of rap, but now that I'm getting to be a little bit older, I guess they're calling me the grandmother of rap. <laughs> <laughs> but I was showing people how you can put two different things together to take that which we know, which in my case is gospel music, and that which we create, which in my case is poetry, and bring them together for something new. So Artemis, the hunter, would be extremely pleased if she pulled her bow. She would hit us both. Yes, yes. It was a great evening. It was a fundraiser. We did very well in raising money. And you've always been so generous with your time and offering, you know, your skills and, and talent. And, and we're so appreciative. What is another one of your favorite uh, performances or readings you've done through your lifetime? Well, I think actually my very favorite, because she was a good they both were good friends. It's when Maya Angelou and I came together to celebrate. Well, we can't say celebrate because it was a sad occasion. Toni Morrison's son Slade died. And we wanted to, Maya and I wanted to bring together all of the writers to show Toni that, that, that she is loved, that there's a community. And we came together and, and created a, a show called One, uh, One, good, For One good Fortune. And we did it at Virginia Tech. Uh, we did it, uh, it was free. It had to be free because you can't put Maya Angelou and, and Toni Morrison and mm -hmm. you know Angela Davis and on stage in India, Ari. The ticket would have been impossible. So it was a free reading, but it was so wonderful to see it packed. I mean, it, you know how people say sold out, and they don't really mean that. You can see empty seats, but this was not sold out. It was packed. And it was so wonderful. And Tony said, if nothing ever happens in my public life again, this does it for me. And it was just, it was, that will always remain with me. It was so wonderful. And we lost, um, we lost Maya uh, about three months later. Uh, she transitioned. And of course, we, we lost Tony last year. So uh, I'll always remember putting that together and the joy that it brought two of my best friends, and it brought the ladies, but the joy about the community. Yes, wonderful. Uh, didn't you do some rap music at one point with someone, a musician? I, I remember reading something about that. Oh, I've, I've done a, a lot. Uh, I did my book, uh, My House, I did it with, um, I wish, if I could sing, I'd sing it for, <laughs> for you, but they don't allow me to sing. They said, no, no, no. Uh, Jenny is listening to this. She says, God, I hope she doesn't sing. But um, <laughs> we... we I did a lot with with the music because that's I love music so much. And my latest book actually is a, a book called Make Me Rain. And the reason that if I could be anything I wanted to be, I would want to be rain because it's the water that makes things grow. And we forget that. We forget that without the water, we don't have a life. It is the water that hits the earth that makes the green things come up. And so I wanted my, uh, my, my latest book to be Make Me Rain, which is about, it's a, it's a love book because I like, all, like all poets, I'm always falling in love. But it's, it's also about a, a lot of cooking. And uh, I have a granddaughter now, and uh, that's, that's really wonderful. I'm trying to teach her to cook the old-fashioned way, <laughs> and she's not used to it. I'm trying to teach her to cook chitlins because you have to turn them inside out and pull the fat. <laughs> 
but they're delicious once you do that. And she actually does cut garlic better than I do because she can take that knife and go across the chunk, 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 which I can't. I have to peel slowly. But uh, it's, I, I'm going to recommend, you didn't ask, but I'm going to recommend granddaughters. I just think that they're the most wonderful <laughs> thing. <laughs> I really do. Better than daughters? Well, daughters, you can, can't, daughters are wonderful. I, was, I am a daughter. I was the youngest daughter, and I'm a big, big, big fan of young daughters because I think older daughters are always trying to, you know, bully the younger daughter. But uh, I think, I think once you get, I think that granddaughters are the reward for being bothered with children. <laughs> I really do. That, that God said, okay, well, they, they made it through the teenagers and they made it through college. Now let's give them something that they really can, can, can enjoy. And so they sent us granddaughters. Oh, lovely, <laughs> lovely. Well, you, you've been up at Virginia Tech as a professor for many years, and uh, you're a, a very strong figure on the campus. Everybody knows you. Uh, explain how you got to Virginia Tech. I was uh, recruited. I was at a women's conference in, uh, I believe, uh, Pittsburgh, and I was recruited by Virginia Fowler, and uh, her mother just passed, and so we had a, a bit of sadness in the whole family, but uh, she had an opportunity to recommend somebody, and she, uh, she recommended me. I think that people were surprised that I would go, but I am an Appalachian. I'm, I'm a Knoxvillean by birth, so coming to Tech was like coming... It's like coming home. I'm here in the mountains. I'd, and, and I mean no disrespect, but I don't think that I would have been as excited to be at UVA over on that side of the state. <laughs> and I'm not picking on UVA. Just tech, just it, it just fits me. And I had three great presidents because I had uh, Dr. McComas and Dr. Torgerson and Dr. Steger. And Dr. Steger and I were, were like brother and sister. He could just ask me to do anything, and I could find a way to do it. Um, we have a new president, and I don't know him as well, Dr. Sands, and I certainly wish him well. But uh, Dr. Steger and I had one really important thing in common. Neither one of us had held a job other than Virginia Tech. This is my first uh, job, and when I get fired or, or quit or drop dead, whichever comes first, uh, it will be the only job that I've, I've held. And so Dr. Steger and I had a view of how we should envision the future of uh, of tech, and I think that's one one of the things that that helped in the art section of Virginia Tech that he let me uh, use my imagination to make it grow, and and I think we did a wonderful job with that. Well, nothing like letting an artist or a writer like you have free reins and teach the way you want to teach, and what a gift that would be to the students who were privileged enough to end up in your classrooms. So I would ask you this, what, what do you think is the most important advice that you can give young writers? You've seen many come through the years, and what do you think you could say to them if they're just starting out? I think the most important thing is to realize that if you are a writer, most of the really good classical work that you do, nobody will ever know about it. it it's one of those jobs. Emily Dickinson never left her home. And she's one of our classic. The uh, Bronte sisters had no idea when they were writing that they were writing great books. So you, you'll fool yourself if you say, I want to write a bestseller. I think this is what I do. Or I want to write a television show. That's not why you write. You write to tell the truth. And you remember that the first reader of your work is you. 
So it has to delight you. And if you're reading your work and it's not pleasing you, then you, you should say to yourself, something's wrong here. Take a deep breath, step back, and, and, take, and take a minute to, to figure out what it is you're trying to say. And I remind uh, writers, as I'm, I'm sure you've done in your, your workshop, and I've worked in the workshop here with um, uh, Warm Heart, the, the main thing to remember is that there is no such thing as writer's block. If, if you have what people want to call writer's block, it means you don't know what you either don't know what you're saying or you're, you, haven't, you don't have enough information. So the most important thing that any writer does is to read every day you should read something. I happen to love a, a comic strip called Pickles because, I, because I'm old and I like the way they, they relate. So every day uh, that I can, very seldom that I can, I read Pickles just to see what, what they're doing. But you have to read something every day. You don't have to write something every day, but you have to read something. And it just kind of keeps, your, keeps you uh, moving, keeps your mind moving. Do you read a lot of poetry? I read I read a, a great deal, probably not uh, as much as some people. Um, I'm, I'm a history major uh, at school. I'm, I'm a Fisk University graduate, and I really do a lot of nonfiction. I, I read a lot of history, and I love science fiction. And so I read a lot of uh, of science fiction. Not I, I don't I don't like you know the they came to Earth to eat us up and stuff like that. But the idea of different life forms. And how we uh, how we encounter them, I'm looking right now once again, if I may, at Star Trek, and Star Trek is you know I was a teenager when that came out, but I just love the way it, they say to go where no man has ever gone. The only thing I change is no man or woman has ever gone before, and what I loved about uh, the Enterprise is that it was it, it was. Uh, Everybody was on it. Uhura was on it. They had a black woman. They had a black man. They had, of course, Captain Kirk and, of course, the incredible, incredible Spock. And so it showed you that somewhere in this galaxy, unknown to us, there's going to be peace and there's going to be love. And uh, we're looking at it again. It's just so wonderful because you think about it. You look up in the heavens and you see the stars are, are dancing and you think, yeah, there's something there's something there. We, we, we haven't discovered it. And I, human beings, I'm not sure, are, are worth right now. Uh, <laughs> I worry about it sometime. And I was laughing with somebody else recently. I said, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, God doesn't call me and say, you know, Nikki, I was, I was thinking, you know, should I continue this, this, this situation on earth or should I shut it down and go someplace else? I'd be forced to say, well, you know, <laughs> I, I, I kind of shut it down right now. You know, this, <laughs> They haven't learned it. Look, at, I mean, it's been a million years. We haven't learned anything. But uh, I really think of the idea. You look at the stars and you think, yeah, there's a life there that we are not yet prepared to embrace. And so the first thing that we have to do is to embrace the life here. And uh, it, it's why, again, I'm, I'm so excited about what we're doing. And it's not, you know, this is not Democrat Republic. This is not anything like that. It's just the idea that we're taking steps as the old folks used to say, we are climbing Jacob's ladder. Every every round goes higher and higher. And I love the spirituals because they were so hopeful. And that's what we're doing. We're all doing better. Now, there's always going to be a fool someplace that's going to dislike it, going to shout at you, going to shoot at you. There's always a fool. But most of us 
are looking at the world and saying, well, it, it's time to take the next round. Next round goes higher and higher. And uh, that, that's the hope for, for not, just, not just the United States, but for planet Earth. Yes. And looking at today, we've all had to slow down due to the pandemic. So we're all home more, and it's a great time to be reading and good time to be publishing books. Uh, you, you wrote two poems for this year's journal, and uh, we opened up the journal with your poem, Vote. Uh, we are, as I mentioned, celebrating the uh, centennial anniversary of the 19th Amendment, and I remember talking to you months ago about that, and you said, well, I'm going to write a poem. And you did. You just popped it out. And it's a wonderful poem. And before you read it, can you speak to what you were thinking about, what you were motivated by in putting this poem together? Well, voting is important. So I say that everywhere. You have to. You just have to vote. I'm not trying to tell anybody who to vote for. You just have to vote. And uh, But I will say this. I hope that uh, if Senator uh, Harris uh, becomes... Uh, Vice President, I hope that she has a special day that she sets aside for an incredible woman named Fannie Lou, Fannie Mae uh, 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 Hamer, because Miss Hamer did a lot in Mississippi to help train people, to teach people to vote, and I think it's so, I think it's so important that we that we recognize Miss Hamer. And I was thinking about all of that, about the, what we do, what a vote is, and what a vote isn't, and how we bring it together. And I do a lot with food because I'm a Southerner. So it's not a hug, nor mistletoe at Christmas. It's not a colored egg at Easter, nor a bunny hopping across the meadow. It's a vote saying you are a citizen. Though sometimes it is chocolate or sometimes vanilla. It can be female or male. It is right or left. I can agree or disagree. And but, and this is an important but, I am a citizen. I should be able to vote from prison. I should be able to vote from the battlefield. I should be able to vote when I get my driver's license. I should be able to vote when I can purchase a gun. I must be able to vote if I'm in the hospital, if I'm in the old folks' home, if I'm needing a ride to the polling place. I am a citizen. I must be able to vote. Folks were lynched for trying to vote. Folks were shot. Folks' communities were gerrymandered. Folks who believed in the Constitution were lied to, burned out, bought and sold because they agreed all men were created equal. Folks vote to make us free. It's not cookies nor cake, but it is the icing that is so sweet. Good for the folks, good for us. My country tis of thee. Wonderful. Well, I can't think of a better way to open up the journal this year and a better way to conclude our podcast with that poem. Thank you so much, Nikki, for being you and, and being such an inspiration to so many people that know you and your work. Oh, thank you. It's, it's, I'm delighted to be here and always delighted to vote with, with, with to work with Autumn. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> uh, thank we're, you, Jim. We're fortunate. We are... Uh, really indebted to our supporters who uh, help the publication get published. 
also the Roanoke Arts Commission and the Taubman Museum. So a big thank you to, to them and again to Nikki for being our special guest today. You've been listening to Artemis Speaks. Artemis is a charitable organization now 43 years old and has evolved to be all-inclusive, a journal with essays, poetry, and art. 10% of the journal's sales are donated to a woman's shelter in southwest Virginia. If you're interested in learning more, artemisjournal.org. You can mail us directly, P.O. Box 505, Floyd, Virginia, 24091. The closing music and the opening music you're listening to is Jordan Harmon, and the song is Just Slow Down, a very appropriate comment for the times that we're in. If you want to read, you have to slow down. Artemis Speaks, the podcast, is recorded twice monthly at Final Track Studios in Roanoke, Virginia. All rights reserved, and is co-produced by Jerry Rogers, Skip Brown. And you know you can't lose touch of those things that you love so much. You love so
Just slow down.